Well, good morning once again, and good morning to those who are watching with us online. Once again, if you're a guest, my name's Matt. I'm the pastor here at the church. So it's said that, uh, that Teddy Roosevelt walked this road. Martin Luther King Jr. is said to have walked this road. Uh, truth be told, uh, presidents, politicians, most of your successful CEOs are said to have walked this road. Even your best WWE superstars are probably on this road. Dr. Phil is on this road. People who walk this path or have this personality, uh, sometimes they're accused of being, of being arrogant, of being too confident, of being too bold or too boisterous. But people who walk this path, they are some of the most impactful people in the world, yet often some of the most misunderstood, because beneath all of the boldness, all the brashness, all the confidence is a softness and a deep love and kindness and compassion for those that are around them. Today, as we continue this series, and we're in the home stretch, as we continue this series that we've been in for the last couple of months, we talk about those who are on the road of power. Now, if you're on this road, you already know it. And everybody around you already knows it. It's because you are confident and everybody knows it and you ooze a certain intensity in life. And I'll be honest with you, I love people who are on this road. I especially love working with people who are on this road because you have opinions, you want to make decisions, you want to push things forward, and you always know where you stand with people who are on this road. If you don't like me, you tell me, and I appreciate that. If you think my idea stinks, you tell me, and I appreciate that. I never have to guess, do you like me? Because if you didn't, I would know it. I think, this is just a guess, but I think, I think my six-year-old son Jack is on this road. It might be too early to tell, but, but man, when he was a baby, we called him the CEO because he liked to get up early and hold meetings where he just yelled at us. And even today, he gets up early and he tells you like it is. There's no guessing with Jack. But not too long ago, I was sitting at breakfast with him and, and we're eating cereal and, and he looks like he's really wrestling with something until finally I ask him, what's wrong? And he looks at me and says, as if he's come to some big decision, he looks at me and he says, Dad, I think I like mom better. <laughs> than me? Yeah, okay, cool, thanks for letting me know. And then earlier this week, this week, I'm helping him get ready for school according to his exact specifications. And he looks at me through the mirror. He looks at me through the mirror, and this is what he says. Dad, when you die, I get all your money, okay? <laughs> and he wasn't asking. He was just informing me. When, when someone is on the road of power, you know it. They're decisive, they're opinionated, the world is black and white, they love to argue, they love intensity, they are deeply passionate. If you're on this road, let me see if some of these statements resonate with you. Chances are they do. I've been told that I'm blunt and aggressive. <laughs> yeah, you are. I enjoy a good verbal battle. With those I love, I insist on being honest about problems and fighting until we figure it out. It's hard for me to trust people. The right thing is always worth fighting for. Saying no isn't a problem for me. I make decisions fast and from the gut, and my gut is usually correct. I'm suspicious of people who are too nice. I don't have respect for people who won't speak up for themselves. Don't mess with the people I love. I have no problem confronting a bully. 
under my tough exterior is a very tender heart. If these statements ring true for you, you might be on the path, the road of power. Now, in the scriptures, when we talk about a person of power, apart from Jesus, there's really just one name that needs to come to mind, and you heard me mention it earlier, and, and the name is Samson. Samson is the closest we get, I think, in the biblical narrative to a Marvel Comics superhero. He has otherworldly strength. And in the book of Judges, it, it talks about his, his incredible, almost like mind-bending feats that he's accomplished with his strength. So, for example, it was said that he killed a thousand men all by himself with nothing but the, the dried-up jawbone from a donkey. That's a strong guy. Now, not only is he physically strong, uh, but Samson had a position of power and strength in Israel, God's ancient people in the Old Testament. At this particular moment in history, there's no kings just yet. Israel hasn't done that thing yet. There's no Saul, there's no David, there's no kings. There's, there's something called judges. Another way to interpret the word judge is deliverer. It's the same word. And, and God instituted this system of judges, the, these wise and strong, decisive people, to help Israel, well, not get itself in more trouble. The role of a judge was to make the best possible decisions on behalf of God's people, because at this point in history, Israel had once again gotten itself into a whole bunch of trouble. They were perpetually unfaithful to God, making stupid choice after stupid choice, and the judges were there to protect them from themselves. And this is how it's described in Judges chapter 2. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. In this case, it was the Philistines. Yet they, Israel, did not listen to their judges. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies. It's the perfect job for someone who walks the road of power. Because being a judge, you have to be decisive. You have to be opinionated. You have to have no problem letting the world know how you feel. And you can't have any room for corruption or evil. And that is the person who walks the road of power to a T. And if you're on this road, this is one of the reasons we love you. You're strong, you're fearless, and you are principled, which is why we often tap you on the shoulder to be the, the judge, the CEO, the team leader, uh, the advocate for the weak and the needy. But we love that you bring strength and principle and clarity and passion into this world. We love it. But here's the downside. And don't be mad at me for articulating the downside. As you know, we've gone through this for about eight weeks now. There's a downside to everybody. I know you don't think you have one powerful person, but you do. Here's the downside. If you walk this path, you tend to get tripped up on two things. You have a lust for intensity and a struggle to trust other people. Now, when I say lust, uh, I'm not talking like in a physical, sexual sense. I'm talking about this, this urge, this need, this longing that you have for intense experiences and encounters with the world. You love the difficulty of a big decision. You love the back and forth of a debate. You love a verbal battle. You love the awkward and painful moments that most people run away from. You dive into them because it makes you feel alive which is why you often enter into relationships or into rooms with your dial already turned up to 11, like, let's go. 
which can make some people intimidated by you. They'll interpret that as you being angry all the time or tough all the time. Or they'll just push you away and want to have nothing to do with you. Likewise, you struggle to trust other people. Now, I'm a full-time pastor and a dime store psychologist, so take this for what it's worth. My guess is at some point in your past, something happened to you. Someone who was supposed to protect you failed you. Worst case, harmed you. And you decided at a young age, well, I'm never going to let that happen again. And so you became incredibly self-sufficient. But it's a defense mechanism. You don't want to be hurt and wounded. And that's where a lot of your strength comes from. You're protecting yourself from dumb people. And it works for you, except when it doesn't. Because it's really hard for you to trust people. Your walls are high and your walls are thick. In fact, there are very few people in this world that you trust and you view everybody at first with suspicion. And the truth is most people don't meet your standards, which is why your circle is small. And even if they did meet your standards, sometimes, oftentimes, you are so intense that those people won't stick around long enough to make a grade which is why the circle of people around you tends to be really small, really intimate, but really small because it's tough to be part of your tribe. Now, the truth is, you would die for that tribe. You are overflowing in love and mercy and compassion for that tribe, but it's small. And you wish. You wish it were bigger. Now, back to Samson. Samson's lust for intense encounters with the world played itself out in predictably sinful ways. Um, in the words of, of uh, the musical Alexander Hamilton, he liked the ladies. That's, if you know the musical, that's a quote. You'll get it later. All right. He liked the ladies, and he encountered someone named Delilah. And Delilah was bad news. Samson had a secret. There, there was a secret to his power. God had made a promise to Samson. Samson had made a vow called the Nazarite vow to God, and God had made a promise to Samson. God would empower Samson so long as Samson held on to this promise of God's power. And, the, and Samson's holding on to God's promise was symbolized by his long hair. He looked like the cover of a romance novel. He was strong, long hair, and, and his long hair was symbolic of his unending trust in the power and the promises of God, which is where his power came from. And he knew that if he ever turned his back on God's power and God's promise, symbolized again by cutting his hair, that all of God's blessing would leave him, including his great strength. And so he never cut his hair. Now, Delilah, she worked for the bad guys. She worked for the Philistines. And she wanted nothing more than to take this superhero judge of Israel down. And so she tries to seduce him, and she tries to get to the bottom of the secret of all of his strength. And true to his path, true to his type, Samson will not trust her. He will not give it out. He, he, he tricks her, he lies to her, he spins her in circles until finally he gives up. And the manner in which he gives up is, is kind of funny if you choose to see the humor in it. Uh, listen to how the writer of Judges puts it. This is now Judges chapter 16. When she, Delilah, pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines. In Hebrew, it literally says he was annoyed to death. So the next time someone is annoying you to death, be like, look, I got a verse for you. He, she, he, she annoys him to death to the point where he's like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Beware the power of a persistent woman. I can't do it anymore. So he's like, Here, look, here's my secret. And the second he tells her the secret, she spills the beans in run the Philistines. They shave his head. There goes his power. It's, it's symbolic of him rejecting God's promise. All of his power is gone. They put him in prison. They gouge out his eyes. That's a bad day. This is the worst nightmare, not just for Samson, but this is kind of symbolic of the worst nightmare for everybody who walks the path of power, everyone who has this kind of personality. They can think of nothing worse than being betrayed by someone they were dumb enough to trust and then being bound, being held captive by someone who is corrupt because everything within them is positioned, poised, and planning to avoid those two things. I won't get my heart broken by someone I trust, and I will never be held captive to someone I don't respect. In fact, people who walk this road, they're often accused of, of having to be in control. And it's not so much that they have to be in control, it's that they refuse to be under the control of others. And there's a difference. They refuse to be under the control of, of people that they do not respect and do not trust. And remember, they respect and trust very few. And the reason is because they fear that it could end up being a Samson kind of situation. Somebody lets you down, and then all of a sudden you're held captive to a situation where your control is gone. And so you fight against it. This is a worst-case scenario for someone who walks the road of power. And after all, do you know how Samson's story ends? Like, he gets revenge, but it comes at a terrible cost the cost of his own life. So, so he loses all of his strength and he's, he's put into jail. But while he's in jail, apparently there's no barber in jail in, Phil, in, in the Philistine culture, so his hair grows back and he regains his strength. Now the Philistines are throwing this massive party and they, they bring Samson in as kind of this circus freak to entertain them, not knowing that his power has returned. And so he's, he's entertaining them and he's feeling out the columns and he presses against the columns so that the whole structure collapses and all of his enemies, di enemies die. But so does he. And there's a temptation in the, the mind of the person who walks the path of power to see this as a cautionary tale. Here's what happens if you trust the wrong people. If you trust the wrong people, you'll lose your strength, you'll be held captive, and you might be able to get revenge, but you'll have to go hulk and destroy everything. Never trust a Delilah. And that, and that may, in fact, be good, good advice. But that's not the point of this story. If you walk the path of power, the, the point of this story is not about you. This story exists to point you and all of us. It exists to point powerful people to Jesus. In, in studying the Old Testament, there are certain things called types, certain characters in the Old Testament story that, that are meant to remind us of and point us to the person of Jesus. And Samson is an Old Testament type of Christ. He, he's, he's imperfect. He's sinful. He's... He's, he's in no way the son of God sent to save the world, but 
in his strength, he reminds us of Jesus in, in the betrayal that he endures. He reminds us of Jesus in the death that he endures where he, he conquers the enemy and loses his own life. He reminds us of Jesus. But here's the difference. When Jesus dies, no one else died. And when Jesus died, he saved everybody, including you. You see, Jesus' death did what, what you, oh powerful person, despite all of your intensity, what you could never accomplish. The, the betrayal that he underwent, the death that he endured, served to earn forgiveness for you for everything. But not only that, as he rose from the dead, he showed his power. He demonstrated his power over all the things that you're afraid of. You see, you see, Jesus knew strength. He had strength coursing through his veins as the Son of God. He also knew betrayal. Think, think Peter, three times, denied. His own people binding him. They didn't gouge out his eyes. They put nails through his hands. He knew death. He died too. But in his death and his betrayal and all that he underwent, he showed his power over it and he conquered it. And he made possible all these promises for you. And what he then does for you, he makes it possible for you to not have to fear all the things that you're afraid of in your relationships. You see, Jesus made himself weak. He made himself weak so that you don't have to fear all the things that you're, you're so mindful of in your own weakness. He made it safe for you to be vulnerable. He made it safe for you to risk rejection. He made it safe for you to potentially be denied by others but not lose your whole world because even if the worst happens, even if you are betrayed, even if you are killed, even if your eyes are gouged out and you're crushed under the Philistine rubble, you're still going to win in the end because of Jesus. Betrayal, humiliation, weakness, Never get the last word for those who belong to Jesus because he was betrayed and made weak and humiliated and died for you and he overcame it and he gives his victory to you and he promises that that on the last day will be the last word for all of his people. Now, it's important for you to embrace that if you walk this road. It's important for you to embrace it because unless you embrace the opportunity that Jesus has given you to, to be weak and in your weakness be strong, unless you embrace the risk that comes with trusting imperfect people and opening yourself up to rejection from people, you, you will never experience the two things you are built for. You will never experience the intensity of the relationships that you desire, and you will never make the impact in this world that you can make. Because in order to experience the full, the full impact of the relationships that you have around you, you have to open yourself up to being rejected by those people, hurt by those people. You, you may have to be weak in order to experience the strength that can come in that relationship. And unless you open yourself up to those things, you'll never experience the depth of connection that you desire. It won't happen. Likewise, if you want to make an impact in this world, you have to set yourself into the relationship with others that it makes for the possibility that you could be let down. 
You could be rejected. You could lose. But unless you risk that, you'll never experience the impact that you can make with all of your strength and wisdom in this world. Jesus creates an opportunity for you to welcome that into your life and to know that even though it's risky, it's ultimately for you safe. Now, if, if you're walking this path and you want to grow and you want to be the healthiest version of yourself, as your pastor and your friend, I'm going to prescribe two things for you, okay? The, the first is this. You need to practice forgiveness. I'm going to spill your secret. You're not a very forgiving person. <laughs> you, you don't let people get close enough to hurt you. And so when someone does hurt you, it hurts you deep and you tend to hold on to it. But the problem is that that hurt that you hold on to, it tends to sabotage your other relationships because the walls that you build and the pain that you hold on to, you take it right into that other relationship and you punish the, the sinless person for the sins of the other. And so practicing forgiveness means for you taking note of the people who have hurt you, maybe even writing them down. Write down the names of the people that hurt you. Write down the things that they did that hurt you. Now, if somebody stumbles across that note, you may have to convince them this is not a hit list. I'm just processing some things. I'm working through some stuff. But this would be a very good exercise for you. Here's who hurt me. Here's what they did. And then in your own heart, in your own mind, you walk through the journey of saying, I forgive him. I forgive her. I forgive her. I forgive him. I'm not going to hold on to this hurt anymore. And it doesn't mean you have to let them right back into your life, but it does open up the possibility that the hurt that you extracted from them doesn't have to do damage and sabotage other relationships. The other thing is to ponder your weakness. You tend to walk into every relationship in every room confident of the decisions to make, seeing the world in black and white, and ready to plow through any scenario that comes your way. What if, as you did that, you held in your right hand a couple of questions? Questions like, what if I'm wrong? Think about that. What do I need? Who can help me? Questions like this will add some humility into your heart and open you up and position you to trust other people. On the flip side, if you love someone who walks this road, here's how you help them be the healthiest version of themselves. It comes down to three things. You need to stand up to them, you need to speak the truth, you need to model forgiveness. People who walk this road of power, they only respect people who will push back on them. They only respect people who will speak up for themselves. And so if you want to have a robust relationship with them, you need to be willing to stand up and shout right back at them. And you'll be tempted to think, why are we fighting? What they'll be thinking is, we're finally getting somewhere. And they'll respect you. Second, you need to speak the truth. They, they are so concerned with being betrayed that in every conversation with every person, deep down in their soul, they're wrestling with this. Can I trust me with you? Can I trust me with you? Can I trust me with you? And if you dance around difficult truths, they're going to say, nope, can't trust you. You can do more damage by, by dancing around something difficult than by just blurting out the worst truth possible. Speak the truth. Honesty is everything. And then model forgiveness. Give to them the grace, mercy, second chances, and forgiveness that they struggle to give to everybody else. And show them that this is part of being in healthy relationships with unhealthy, sinful, broken people. Show them that.
so that they might show it to you. So my friends who are powerful, I want to leave you with this image. If you grew up in the 80s, you will know exactly what this is. There we go. This was the man who came to the rescue of every thirsty kid in 1986. This is the Kool-Aid man. Do you remember what he used to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got it. He'd come busting through the walls and do about $100,000 worth of damage to the structure every time he showed up. But if you wanted a tasty treat on a summer's day, it was this guy who came busting through the walls. And, and just go with me on this. I don't mean anything negative by this. I think it's a good analogy. If you walk the path of power, I think this is you. You have good stuff. Stuff everybody loves. Who doesn't like Kool-Aid? You're filled to the brim with good stuff. You're filled to the brim with, brim with good decisions, great principles, awesome insights, fearlessness, boldness. You are filled with this stuff. But sometimes, sometimes when you enter the room, you, you knock down walls and people can get distracted by the rubble on the ground rather than the great blessing that you bring. In Jesus Christ, you, you are freed to accentuate your path with a different approach when necessary. To be softer. To be gentler. I know you think that means weaker, and perhaps it does. More humility in your heart, more trust in your hands. I know that makes you vulnerable, and it does. But... Christ has made it possible for you to risk that because you can't really lose anything by doing that, even if the worst thing happens. And here's where true power is. True power is not only being the most decisive and demanding person in the room. True power is being able to be tough and tender. That's true power. True power is being confident yet collaborative. True power is being passionate and precise, but also a peaceful presence. We want people to not only see your strength, but your sweetness. And in Jesus Christ, it's safe to show us both. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, for the strong, passionate, powerful leaders among us. The ones who will stand up to the bullies, speak up for the weak, the ones who know exactly what they want to do, we ask that you would allow them to step into more vulnerability, to more softness, to experience the full sweetness of relationships and of love, and that we might experience all the love and the generosity and the kindness that they have to give as well. We thank you that Jesus has faced everything that they fear so that they no longer have to fear what they might face when being vulnerable. We give thanks for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.